to welcome y'all to Secrets from the South. I'm your friend, Scotty Ray, along with my co-host, Terry. Now, you'll quickly catch on that we don't sound like the man on the 6 o'clock news. We talk a little slower, and we've got a southern drawl. But nonetheless, we've got a great podcast lined up just for you. We'll bring you some interesting stories. They're sometimes crazy and a little unbelievable. But it would be just plain impolite not to share them. So get yourself comfortable. Find some southern charm and a glass of iced tea and enjoy. So have you ever thought about how you want to leave everything behind? Statistically, most Americans just don't make a will. Well, you've seen this at funerals to where the temperatures start flaring and before it's over, everybody's hot. Everybody wants their piece of the pie. So the best thing to do is, well, put it all on paper. Make sure the person that you want gets this and that. It'll only happen if you put it on paper. Because if you don't, it could get plum nasty. I hope you'll enjoy this week's episode title, The Will. Terry, have you ever been called in by an attorney for the the reading of a will? No, I never have. I hadn't either. You see it on TV all the time, but I have never seen that. Well, I mean, the only one that comes to mind is uh, one of the movies that I think we kind of touched on uh, one in one of our episodes with Clint Eastwood as the director and also the actor Gran Torino. Do you remember seeing that? I do remember seeing that, and it doesn't turn out the way the family thinks it's going to. No, I mean, they're all sitting there thinking that they're going to get his worldly possessions, who is the character that Clint Eastwood plays. And they find out that, and they especially think that they're going to get the Gran Torino, his pride and joy. And they find out that he's given the vehicle to this kid that he has befriended that is a next-door neighbor. Yeah, he didn't like him at first, and then they became buddies. No, because he's of a different nationality, and he didn't understand a lot of their family traditions and that sort of thing. And there, there's a gang that tries to intervene and get this kid to become one of their members, and it is really just a cool story. But back to your point, you know when you watch these things where people go over the wheel, it never ends up good. You know, even you go back to Brewster's Millions when he was having to waste all that money you didn't see what the wheel really had. He had to do that to to get the big prize. Yeah, you know, and I guess you have, and some, but I mean, this is the thing that gets me. You always hear people, and and I guess you and I have been very fortunate where we've never been the participant ourselves. But have you not heard some of your friends say that they got into it, or they knew some, you knew somebody that knew somebody that got into it when it got time to actually decide who gets this $50 piece of hunk of junk furniture. And I'm, I mean, and some of it's jewelry and money and land and property that it just goes south quick. Oh, and I mean, people... rarely does it work out that way. And I guess in those cases, that's where someone has made a will out and they've even communicated to you in their prime time living days that this is going to you i've got this set aside for your other siblings you know what i'm saying there's no question how that's going to go down and when they do end up leaving this earth that everybody knows how it's going to play out and that's exactly how it's stipulated in the will now and then you get into let's contest the will because i don't like that well, that's true. I mean, is there really anything final other than put it going ahead and putting it in somebody's name? I don't know. But, I mean, you know, you hope and pray that you, you never want someone to leave this earth and you benefit from it. You know what I'm saying? It's just right. kind of a, 
if you think that way, then you're probably going to be one of the ones that's going to dispute and going to fight on anything because you're just looking at material things rather than you've just lost a loved one that will never be able to be back on this earth with you again. You'll have to wait until you can be with them in heaven. Right. I mean, that whole thing is depressing enough to know that you're going to fight over those things. But I mean, I see how it happens. Oh, I've watched it. I mean, it's like being a co-owner of a four-wheeler or a co-owner of a hunting lodge. You know what I'm saying? I hear about stuff like that all the time. That's why they always tell you that when you're going to go in together, there's going to be five of you and you're going to get a hunting lodge together. Or there's going to be, they always say, never make those kind of deals with family. Yeah, that that even gets worse. Yeah, because there's always going to be somebody that feels like, and there's a lot of truth to this, somebody always feels like they're the ones that does all the work. The hunting camp, they're down there all the time. They're well, What all do you have to do in a hunting camp to get it ready? Oh, you know, plant your fields, keep your roads clean, all that, all that stuff. This even gets into uh, family members that feel like that one member of the family got more while they were alive, then here comes the will, and then they get an equal amount. And that causes an argument. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that, Scott, because it says, according to this article, it says this article on wills is provided by Everplans. And and so here's the first one. It says, number one, sibling rivalry. A parent's passing is the ultimate test of any tension brothers and sisters think they've overcome. With the reflection triggered by grief comes memories of bygone odds that were never ended. As a result, the settlement of an estate could unfortunately become the battleground for the settlement of old scores. You know what I'm saying? It's like you and a sibling, you know, you think that you've kind of patched things up, but you let somebody die (laughs) and you start arguing over that. You know, like I said, that, that piece of furniture, that lamp, uh, something that really is of value. I mean, and, and, and can you imagine the tension? The lamp and the hunk of furniture, you know, we're kind of making fun of. And there can be some tension there, but you start letting some of those valuables go up in dollars. Oh, you take 200 acres of land and. Oh, it's going to, it's going to get ugly quick. So I, I see that. I mean, do you, do you see where they're coming Absolutely. from? Absolutely. So it says number two is economic disparity among beneficiaries. An imbalance in the socioeconomic status of an estate's heirs is enough to destabilize the whole proceeding. For instance, where a wealthy inheritor can afford to hold on to an asset, his or her less privileged counterparts may want to sell for immediate needed gain. This can only be compounded by the the addition of each subsequent heir. And, and a lot of that goes even a step further where have you ever heard that's like, let's just say you and, uh, and a sibling, okay? You have the means to go and do and buy and you lived I mean, like everybody does. Everybody, regardless of your income, at some point there's a threshold. So everybody yeah. has a budget. Some are a lot more. Some are cousin Eddie and some. Well, I mean, you know, some people can go and do and buy before they reach that threshold where they need to dial it down some. Right. And some really struggle just to get... Groceries. Yeah, groceries and pay the bills. So you inherit something, and let's say it's a, like they said, the land. It's a 50-50 split. You're wanting to hang on to it because of sentimental values. I mean, that was something that your family had, and they've had for the last 63 years. The sibling, on the other hand, needs the dough. So they want it gone. And then that becomes a fight. And it becomes a fight. So, number three, co-trustees. There's a reason why there's only one president in the USA. 
one manager of the Yankees, and one CEO of Apple. Executors must be swift and decisive, which is why they recommend not naming more than one to administer the estate. Even if two people get along on 99% of matters, that 1% will lead to problems. Uh, yeah. Yeah, with- yeah, and this just kind of goes, uh, you know, we were talking earlier uh, about a situation going on, actually, with church, and this is just totally unrelated. But our my husband and I were talking about when you've got more than one boss, and it's kind of the same theory there. What's the old theory of there's too many chiefs and not enough workers? Yeah, yeah there's not enough Indians. And so there's just going to be, if, if one person's doing it, you got to trust that person that they're going to execute it the way you had intended. And you've already hopefully discussed it. You get more chiefs in there, and like you said, it's, it's, it's going to be problems. Number four, beneficiary dependency or mental illness. Any irrationality introduced to a situation as sensitive as the settlement of an estate is going to gum up the gears. Layer atop that a history of substance abuse and or psychological instability, and you threaten to strip the sprockets entirely. You kind of understand what they're saying there? Yeah, yeah, I follow that. So, number five, undue influence. Invariably, in cases of -of end-of-life care, there's one person who ends up doing most of the caretaking. And this is what we talked about earlier in an example. And whether it owes to better stat tracking, the advancing age of baby boomers or both, lawyers like, and it's the guy that they introduced, are seeing more cases than ever of elder abuse in the form of coercion by the caregiver of the deceased for personal gain. Now, that is, in my opinion, is sorry on top of sorry. Yeah, but it's done every day. Oh, every day. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a difference in you've been caring for a loved one. You took the responsibility on because nobody stepped up to the plate and said, I'm going to make sure they get to their doctor's appointment. I'm going to make sure that their welfare is taken care of. I'm going to make sure that they're fed. I'm going to make sure that they've got a place to sleep, that they're safe. I'm going to do everything that needs to be done on a daily basis. I mean, that's a full-time job. It is. And I know that you can relate to this. And so at the end of the day, if that person decides, well, because of that, I want this person get a little more of my estate because they really have helped me out when I was not able to take care of myself independently. That's one side. What they're talking about, it sounds like, is where somebody does it. Their whole game is I'm going to go in there and I'm going to start working on them and start getting them to leave me, you know, to change the wheel, so to speak, yeah, at change the last the minute. Wheel. And that, that is just, but, and that's terrible to say, but that sort of thing goes on all the time. Oh, and you've seen it to where there's a wedding two weeks before death. Exactly. And she cleans the plow. I, seriously, I've seen that several times. Well, I mean, th- that's just sad, but unfortunately it happens. So number six is estrangement or disinheritance. Well, you know that's going to be bad. It says children or other successors left outside the frosted glass of inheritance have nothing to lose by challenging the exclusion from it. The situation only worsens in the case of blended families and all of their complexities, especially if the disaffected heirs pairs their challenge with another claim like undue influence. So, I mean, think about how many blended families exist today. I don't know how you you could ever work that out and make everybody happy. Well, I mean, we always talked about that the odds of, I mean, you and I are knock on wood and 
we're kind of oddballs in the sense that we've been married to the same person for as long as we yeah. have. I mean, the odds are not in your favor, and that's unfortunate. So a lot of wonderful people just didn't have good marriages that have gone on to marry somebody else. And when you marry that person, guess what you also inherit? You get them kids. You get the kids. And I'm not saying that that's not just been a blessing to a lot of people, especially people that didn't have kids. Now they have kids in their family. But then something happens to them. And you got kids from a previous marriage, you got kids from your current marriage, and then all of a sudden you got left out. Oh, and then you got some of the kids wanting to get rid of the, the other spouse out of the house because it was their dad's house or mom's house, and they don't want them living there anymore, no and they have nowhere to go live. I guess I'm kind of an example of a blended family, but you know, mine was a little bit different. My dad died in 2012, and my mother was very fortunate to find a wonderful guy who had also lost his spouse to cancer, just like my dad. Different cancer, but still the outcome was the same. And they are very happy together. And that makes everybody happy. But that's a blended family. But the thing that I love that they did was when you are especially the ages that they were when they got married, again, because my parents were almost married for 50 years, they got a prenup. Now, that's probably not something that I should have had as common knowledge but my point being is they didn't want anybody that they, they didn't Argan. you know it's my stuff it's your stuff and then we have stuff together i thought that was pretty slick that they know they've got older children again this is a blended family so why not just go ahead and say we're not going to be dickering over all of this what i had in my marriage stays with my kids what yeah. he had in his marriage stays with his kids and anything that we acquired together well, we'll figure it out. But I think those sort of things kind of save you from hopefully some heartburn that could be down you know, the road. I really think the average Joe out there has not really thought about a will. Or my daddy would not even write one. Would not do it. You know, it's not something that I think we all feel comfortable writing because it's almost like, I mean, because we're talking about our own demise. But it's going to happen. But. Yeah, there's no way. If somebody can tell me how we can stop it, <laughs> I would love to know. As Hank put it, you'll never get out of this world alive. Exactly. You're not. So I think it's one of those things that who wants to sit down and kind of talk those things? It's just like a living will. I mean, I don't want to be hooked up, but I mean, to depend it on machinery. But so if you don't, you need to stipulate exactly when I want to hook you, hook me up and when I don't. I mean, I mean, there's. I don't want somebody to say, well, she's got a cold. Let's just kick her to the curb and hope she, she either makes it or she don't. I'm not saying that. I mean, I want somebody to, if there's a chance I can pull through, I want somebody <laughs> plugging something up to me. But I just think a lot of that kind of upfront planning can do a lot. In the case of, hey, if one of us should perish before the other, that person gets to stay in the house until they, I mean, those sort of things are already kind of ironed out. So the family's not trying to pull the rug on the one that's still left in the house. Yeah, and that needs to be handled. But there's so many people that don't have that luxury. It's just kind of thrown together. And when something happens, everybody goes mad. Well, I mean, let's face it. We're not really good planners in a lot of cases. I mean, we think the government's going to take care of us when we get ready to retire. And that ain't going to happen. Rump row. So, all right, number seven, a late marriage. And you can see this one coming, Scotty. Love can blossom in even the most terminally ill soul. But when it does, expect resentment of the new spouse by heirs, especially in blended families with children only or primarily on the settler's side. Wouldn't you see that coming? You marry late in life and 
You know, well, I've seen it to where people were remarried, been married for fifty years, and the and the the grown kids still mad at one another over it. Fifty years. I mean, really I've seen over it. the yeah. marriage? Yeah. Well, by that time, you need to get over it. I know, but I'm telling you, I I sit back and I see that every day happen. It's sad. But you know, I wonder if those are the type of people that, and, and you know what I'm talking about, Scotty. They would rather fuss every day than they would to just say, you know what, if they make my mother, father, whoever the case may be, happy. Now, if they're tr- mistreating them, that's a different ball you know, game. that's a different ball game. If they're a different person and you don't really, you know, jihad with them, but boy, they sure treat my my family member good. I mean, at some point, you got to cut them some slack and move on. Are you just going to make your own life I mean, miserable? If, you get, if you've had a stepdad for 50 years, you know, get over it. Yeah, exactly. It's time to. Exactly. Okay, well, here's number eight. Advanced benefit to one heir and not the others. Meaning that somebody gets something while they're alive? Well, this says startup funding for a fledging uh, business, a down payment for a first home or college, bailout money for suffocating debt. It's not uncommon for an aging relative to help out and eventually help the heir financially, but it can strain relationships during probate among other heirs who didn't receive the same benefit. Hmm. You know what I'm saying there? Like you and I are, let's just say that we know somebody that's two sisters. One of them has always needed mom and dad to bail them out or to give them a little money, get them a little head start, or then their kids needed help going to private school and whatever else. And then the other family pretty much didn't need that help. I mean, and it, it, all or, and it couldn't be for a variety of reasons. They just were lucky and they ended up where they had really high paying jobs. It could be that they had the same amount of money. They just, and this is where the rub really probably comes in. They probably make the same amount of money, give or take a couple thousand dollars, but one manages their money a whole lot better than the other. And you've seen those cases where yes, mama is always bailing out. I've heard stories all the time where I heard one the other day, you know, their child is 60 years old and mama still had to pay for them to put up in, in a house and put their I'm talking about the 60-year-old's child, put them through school. I mean, they really have done nothing in their life. And then you let something happen to them, and then we want to split it down the middle. And it's like, wait a minute. Yeah. You know, you probably spent $100,000 in the course of the last 10 years paying for all this stuff for this 60-year-old just because they didn't either have a lot of drive, didn't know how to manage their money, had some things in their past where they were just trouble from day one. And then it just becomes bitter because now – when, you know, the deceased, you're settling their estate, well, we want to do an even split. And then, you know, the person that's done right thinks, how is this even? Yeah, and it's not even. No, but again, I mean, what do you do about it? You need to be bitter, I guess, or not. So, And that's when people end up not speaking to each other for years. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I think that this, I mean, it happens all the time. And, and this is this is another one that was published that said, Why Families Fight Over Inheritance. It says, those of us who practice in the area of estate planning are regularly confronted with families behaving at their worst. People are people who are normally thoughtful and connected with their emotions revert to fighting children figuratively, sometimes literally scratching, punching, and pulling each other's hair. Even where there is no overt conflict, it seems that nearly every family has some amount of tension percolating just beneath the surface as they address family inheritance issues so at the end of the day you better off not to get nothing 
<laughs> is that the answer? Well, I think at the end of the day, it's you better hope that you have a good will or that your family members have good wills. I saw a thing where a guy said that he had been taking care of his uncle and uh, apparently the uncle didn't have children and wanted to leave it to somebody and left a good chunk of it to this person. But they said, look, I was the one taking the uncle to the doctor's appointments. I was the one following up with uncle every single day. I mean, they were the, right. the caregiver. And then when it comes down to it, well, everybody wants the same amount. And the uncle didn't see it that way. And they were all bitter. I mean, that's when, I mean, really, the gloves come off. And I remember talking to somebody that was in that used to work in trust at a bank, and they were talking about the fact that, you know, in a lot of cases when they would have these uh, estate settlements or whatever, they have to be present. Now, if it takes place on Saturday, they have to be present as the family goes through and earmarks, I want this set of golf clubs. I want these dishes. I'll take so I this necklace. This. I mean, so, and, and it's only to keep the family from killing one another and to make sure there is some there's some method to how the wealth is distributed, especially when they don't have a will. And this is the fascinating thing. You know, we all think that, well, wills are kind of, would you not think that sometimes people think that wills are for wealthy people? Yeah, and I think that's why, why I ain't got anything to leave anybody. Why <laughs> yes, people... you do. I mean, you really do. But it's surprising, and I'm sure there's some stats of how many wealthy people die and they have zero will. And that ends up going to the state that they live in. Isn't that how that yeah, works? Yeah, and I mean, but that just tells you right there that, you know, you're going to have a family that's going to have a major dispute over it. And, and that's what I think when they talk about per, that underlying percolating issues is mm -hmm. people can learn to get along with each other if they just kind of, put them at arm's length, you know, like a sibling or something. Right. You know, they'll say, well, they've never been like me, and they've never been close. You have a lot of people that are close. Correct. But you let somebody die, and it's like an all-out cat fight. Again, there's only one way to stop the next fight, and that's you. You got to make a will and leave it to who you want. Well, I was sitting here thinking, well, I don't really have anything to leave, but then I got mad. What if somebody was to sell one of my guns that I want to stay in the family? Or sell my 66 Chevrolet truck? I'm talking about I'd have to come back and hate somebody. Just like you, it seems as though I've got work to do. Because the odds of me getting a big inheritance are getting slimmer by the day. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and will continue to listen more. We promise to provide stories that intrigue you, provide a little humor, reflect our heritage and culture, whether it's strange and alarming. Please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Let us know whether you liked or disliked. Do you have a story to share? If so, we'd like to hear from you. Please email us at comments at secretsfromthesouth.com and provide a brief description of your story along with contact information and we'll be in touch. Until next time, we'd like to say thanks for dropping by. And if you don't mind, tell a friend about us. We sure hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We'll see you back next week here at Secrets from the South.